This, I believe, is based on a popular 1950s radio series program of the same name. It was hosted by acclaimed journalist Edward R. Murrow. Each day, Americans gathered by their radios to hear compelling essays from the likes of Eleanor Roosevelt, Jackie Robinson, Helen Keller, and Harry Truman, as well as corporate leaders, cab drivers, scientists, and housewives. Anyone willing to distill into a few minutes the guiding principles by which they lived. Today, an international organization of the same name provides an online venue at thisibelieve.org for people to learn, read, and share their core values. We are excited to offer this program here at Chalice. Please welcome our members as our speakers for This I Believe. Please welcome Sharon Beck, one of our newest members. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm from Newbury Park and uh, my pronouns are she, 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 her, and hers. Um, okay, growing up, my dad frequently emphasized to my brother and I that he did not believe in wasting time and how a person spent their time was important. I greatly admired, admired this about him. My dad, who's an engineer, often had a yellow line notepad with him and a pen in his, in his shirt pocket. When there was a time when he had a few minutes to wait, which was usually when we were waiting on my mom, he would use that time to work on a mathematical problem. I internalized this belief about not wasting time. As a single mom, I have had to multitask and be creative when trying to complete all I need to do each week. I have fought with father time and argued that there is just not enough time to get everything done. This belief has not always served me well because I'd be working hard to get through things rather than enjoying the present moment. This past year in March, when Governor Newsom asked everyone to shelter in place due to COVID, um, my job, one of my jobs was put on pause until we were able to get a remote system set up. This enabled, this enabled me to be able to spend extra time with my 15-year-old daughter, Lucia. During that month, Lucia and I started a ritual of walking our dogs at a local park. It felt so exhilarating to be able to go to the park in the middle of a workday and in the middle of a work week. Since going back to my jobs, I have been exclusively working remotely and this has provided me a solace from driving six to seven hours a week to the agencies I work for. This extra time has given me the precious gift of being able to do more activities at home with my daughter who is a sophomore in high school and who will graduate in a few years. Taking a cue from many other people in the US, Lucia and I decided to adopt, adopt a puppy because we knew that indeed two dogs were not enough. This was a perfect time to adopt a puppy since we were home all the time. After several months of careful research, we found our adorable puppy named Nala. She is 35 pounds of energy and love. 
there, if there is one wonderful thing about Nala, it is that when I am in her presence, I am totally grounded in the moment. Having her in my life made me slow down a bit and savor this time. She has given Lucia and I more reasons to work together, to laugh and to learn. The silver lining to the pandemic is that not only do I have more time at this moment, but I've had the realization about the truth about the power of now, which I read about in Eckhart Tolle's book some 20 years ago. I believe the present moment, the now, is what is important and what makes my life joyous. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Sharon. Next, we have Shane Niebergall, one of our newer worship associates. He is up next. Good morning. I am Shane. I'm a son, husband, and father of two young girls, and I believe in the scientific method. Now, I realize that might sound a little silly at first. This is church, not a science class, but hear me out. For those that haven't been in school recently, let me offer a quick refresher. The scientific method is a process of acquiring knowledge through experimentation. You start with a question such as, why is the sky blue? You form a hypothesis, which is a guess at an answer. Perhaps maybe the particles that make up the sky, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide, maybe those are blue. You, next, you perform an experiment. Perhaps we can collect CO2 by breathing into a clear balloon and observing its color. And finally, you analyze your results and come to a conclusion. Well, when I looked at the balloon, it was still clear, not blue. So carbon dioxide is not the reason the sky is blue. In this case, we didn't solve our original problem but we did gain knowledge about it, and we are closer to our answer than before. And that's typical of the scientific method. Oftentimes, it requires many iterations of trying different hypotheses before you arrive at a conclusion that answers your question. But even then, and this may come as a surprise to you, you're never 100% certain. There are some widely accepted theories that have been rigorously tested, but even then their status as laws can be broken. Consider this example. Raise your hand if you were taught that Pluto was a planet. Me too. Well, for almost 80 years, it was widely accepted to be the ninth planet in our solar system until in the early 2000s when astronomers started observing thousands of other objects in the Kuiper belt that were more similar to Pluto than they were the rest of our planets. So they said, hey, you know what? We were wrong. We can't keep thinking about Pluto as a planet. And so we're going to recategorize it. Sorry, Pluto. And that's the most fascinating part of the scientific method to me, that you can be wrong after so many years and it's okay. In fact, it's expected that you're wrong. Most experiments fail their hypotheses and only once in a blue moon do scientists actually come out with something significant. I believe in the scientific method because it forces me to be curious and wonder why things work. It forces me to take the time to do some research and come up with my own opinions. It forces me to test my opinions and finally to accept that I can be wrong. I'm talking about the scientific method because I feel it's incredibly important right now. We're living in a time when many people are guided not by science, but by ideas that have no backing. And that concerns me because there's a major difference between a scientist and a conspiracist. A scientist welcomes the idea of being wrong. It happens all the time. While a conspiracist chooses to believe only the data that proves their point right. Their idea is certain and infallible. A scientist says, 
we've observed with a 95% accuracy that the vaccine is effective. Note that there's still a 5% chance of being wrong being built into that statement. A conspiracist says, the virus is no different than the flu because anything that suggests otherwise is fake news. Notice there's no amount of evidence that can be given to change this person's mind because they're choosing to believe something that throws out all conflicting information. Just yesterday, I came across a tweet from one of the researchers behind a COVID vaccine. He states, scientists that adapt their views based on new and reproducible data are not guilty of flip-flopping. They're guilty of being good scientists. Scientists that refuse to adapt their views in the face of new data are not guilty of being consistent, they're guilty of being stubborn. I believe in the scientific method because it embodies having an open mind, an open mind to ideas you've never considered, an open mind to look at things differently, an open mind to be wrong. And I believe all of those are needed in order to be an effective Unitarian Universalist. Thank you so much, Shane. Next, we have Aitana Sierra, today's worship associate. My name is Aitana Sierra, and I've grown up in Newbury Park all my life. Uh, every time I wanted to sit down and write this, I couldn't help but write about 2020. And I even tried to write it yesterday after the new year, and I couldn't leave it behind. But that's because there was just so much darkness. And... There were a lot of things I lost. I was hospitalized twice and out of school for a month, mid-January uh, to February. And my school closed on the day I was supposed to be singing and we couldn't rehearse for our play. In April, I turned 18 all alone. And I spent so many months uh, going to bed at 4 or 5 a.m. and waking up in the afternoons. And while my classmates would meet in Zoom calls, I would avoid them completely and turn in nothing. And I barely remember. And a couple weeks ago, I was supposed to have finished my first finals week at university. And instead, I requested to withdraw for the semester. And I'm not going to take classes in the spring. I am almost in contact with nobody from high school anymore. And my boyfriend of two years broke up with me. And it's feels like a lot of complaining, honestly. But it just feels like this whole year has broken my heart open over and over again. And most days I feel sad and really angry. And I'm sorry, my dog is barking. And although things aren't great, I'm getting the help I need now. 
And one of the most valuable things I'm trying to learn is I'm trying to forgive myself for wanting things to be permanent or wanting to hold onto people or the past because I used to be happy and it's hard to feel that again. And instead I'm trying to give myself a little grace. One of my spiritual inspiration of many years, an artist on Instagram by the name of Meredith Park once wrote, the kingdom of God is like a long walk by night on foot, blind in the dark, following the idea of light long before you can see it, until at last you're standing on the kingdom's front porch. The Lord has been waiting for you at the window. You can't see their face, it's too bright. I feel so lucky that and grateful that even virtually I can lay my open heart here in front of you in the dark, surrounded by your love. And we have all had tears to wipe from each other's faces, even from afar. And that divine respite is pretty far from now. But until then, we'll stumble around in the dark together and I'll hold your hand. And I will pull you up if you trip, just as I know you will do for me. That's what I believe. Thank you. Thank you, Aitana. I'm maybe I speak for others for saying I'm honored that you chose to share that with us truly honored I am here in Michael X X Stevens place there's a lot of discussion in library circles about what to to what extent a librarian should identify as such? Is being a librarian a job, a career, or a calling? Naturally, there are a lot of different views on the topic because librarians, like you use, are not a monolithic group, and there's always disagreement among us. I would say that for myself, being a librarian is a natural fit, but not for the reasons you might think. People often believe that librarians are shy and withdrawn book people. I'm not particularly shy or withdrawn. And while I am a book person, it is more fair to say that I'm a word person. I believe in words in their many different forms, from eBooks to print books, from online databases to Twitter, from songs to historical fiction, from storytelling to puns. Some people, have a lot of rules surrounding words. For example, they may see certain genres of music or books as having less worth than others. They may discount the words they read coming from social media. 
They may have a personal rule that they must read a certain number of books per year. While I am admittedly a fan of the Oxford comma and hate the fact that irregardless is now in the dictionary, I am engaged in social media and I listen to and read a lot of different genres. Words in my mind have a way of opening up our minds and our hearts, whether we are the ones writing them, saying them or digesting them. Of course, misinformation can be problematic, which is why I am a big advocate of paying attention to how words are being used. Are they being used to sway you to a certain way of thinking? Are they being used for fun or for harm? While words can open us up, they can also leave us vulnerable. Because of this, I allow myself the flexibility of the concept of DNF. DNF stands for did not finish. I first heard this term referring to books that librarian friends of mine simply didn't finish reading for whatever reason. They got distracted by another book. The book wasn't as good as the reviews made it out to be. Maybe they didn't like the characters. I decided that I would no longer feel guilt over books I hadn't finished reading for whatever reason and embrace this concept. I also no longer feel guilty for not reading the entirety of what I come upon on Twitter, which is admittedly difficult, or on Facebook, which is even more difficult. I no longer feel guilt for not having the focus for podcasts, for not listening to NPR, horror of horrors. Life is too short to absorb all the words out there. Sometimes our hearts and minds aren't ready or prepared or just plain interested in those particular words. And that is okay. In life, as in words, I try to be comfortable with this concept. And as I skip a song on Spotify or put down a book for a few weeks, I remind myself that there are always more words. I close with the words of Eric Williams. Blessed is the path on which you travel. Blessed is the body that carries you on it. Blessed is your heart that has heard the call. Blessed is your mind that discerns the way. Blessed is the gift that you will receive by going. Truly blessed is the gift that you will become on the journey. May you go forth in peace.